about that. All right, well, welcome in. Um, so I just want to be clear then with what Brett just said, that if we go over time, it's the gloriousness of community that caused it, not the guy who's preaching. Because uh, the guy who's preaching always takes the blame for it. And so remember the richness of community you experienced uh, within that. I had some, uh, our, one of the pastors I had growing up, their family, when they would go uh, to, had, when they had to go to different conferences or different presbytery meetings, they would always let the kids pick what church they go to and the town that they have to stay in. And then they would just talk about it, like different traditions, different that, whatnot. And there was one, t- one, one uh, Sunday they went to this church that it was all singing and music, and it was the most fun, and it was excitement and everything. They were back there like three months later, and the kids were like, can we go to that fun church again? That church was so fun. It was colorful. It was bright. They went, and the pastor spoke for two and a half hours. No music. Uh, and so, you know, it just, it's got it to be week to week, you know, keep, keep you on your toes of what you were expecting. Uh, so if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, I'm Robert. I have an opportunity to preach here and there in my often one-liner. Uh, if that's like, yeah, you're like, well, it's only every so often. You're like, great. It happens every once in a while. And if this is like you're visiting and this is your decision Sunday, it also doesn't happen that often either. So wherever you are on that spectrum, it is a good time to be together uh, within that. So um, we are in the midst of this series uh, going through uh, the first portion of the book of Acts. Uh, and we've um, just started it last week. This is the second week of that. Um, before we dive in, what I want to say real quick is one of my favorite things about um, being able to do this every so often uh, is... Uh, not, not as much the fact that, like, oh my gosh, it's so fun to preach, it's so fun to do this. It is, it is enjoyable, it is uh, a thing to dive into, but especially for a small church, especially for a church plant, um, previous to my cur- current job that I have now, I had a lot of opportunity to work with students, teach students in uh, settings of theological education, and seeing the day in and day it out. But one of my favorite things is to have an opportunity to give Kevin a break. Uh, and I don't say that to be like, oh, look, great, look at what Robert's doing, he's doing this awesome thing, giving him a break. I'm saying this because I think it's important for communities to hear that it's such a gift to be able to give those in leadership a break. <laughs> not only a break from prep, but also a break to actually be able to sit and hear, not just stand and speak. Uh, and so uh, just being able to, for years, watching the day in and day out of students, what they go through, um, especially I had one student, uh, solo pastor, small town church, literally everything. I had another student, he had a staff of like 10 with him <laughs> to like share all the load. And so in those scenarios, um, and this is by no means like a, oh, whoa, our leadership or this or that. It's just a, know that it is not just a job you work on Sunday morning for an hour. <laughs> uh, it is a call in the holistic nature of that. And so anytime any of us get a chance to do this, um, I just also want us to think like, wow, that is also just really Think of our leadership, too, and think of that uh, gift it is to give a break. Um, when we're asked to do things, when we participate in things, is isn't just like, oh, there's one more thing to do for us. And even as we look ahead to our volunteer meeting after this. So in all capacities of uh, leadership, uh, volunteering, caring, and serving, uh, thinking about not just you or the impact on you or the time commitment or, ooh, I'm doing this great thing, but what does it do for the whole? What does it do for the community? Uh, and so it's a gift to be able to do that um, from that viewpoint. Uh, so like I said, we just started a series on Acts. Uh, just a little bit of review before we dive into our selection today. 
Um, so we did the first uh, five verses of Acts last week and a little bit of intro. Uh, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, not only does it dive into those verses, but sets a foundation to why we're going through Acts, what is that we're looking um, ahead to in Acts, uh, and most importantly to what we're talking about today is it highlights the fact that Acts is the continuation of a story. And so it is part two off the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, I would encourage you as you're going through Acts, uh, it also might be great to revisit Luke um, throughout this. Um, or even if you have a Bible that has any footnotes or directions, it's amazing how many times in Acts it directs you back to Luke. Uh, and it really adds a holistic, expansive nature to what we're being told in Acts. And so that's really the biggest part that I wanted to hit on the review, is remembering that as we dive into this, this is a continuation of a larger story, a story that the author Luke has gone to great strides to put together to be able to speak into one another, not just be like, here's one like story, but also here's how it fits into the larger story to give it, as we talked about uh, last week, to give it proof Um, to give it a foundation uh, rooted in Jesus. And so I'm going to read our verses for us today, then pray for us, and we will dive in. So uh, today we are in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Uh, If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn that uh, to that uh, uh, device. um, Go for it, or it will be up on the screen behind us. And so Acts 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, it's a gift to be able to gather together to hear your word, to dive into your word. Uh, I pray in this time that what is of you um, sticks, what's not falls away, uh, that this would be a rich time of diving into uh, your word, uh, being formed and shaped for what you have for us today. Um, and that we would be able then to take that and um, not only sit with it, but process it as a community, um, learn together in a community, and continue to be propelled out, rooted in you. In your name, amen. So what I want to do is I actually just want to go section by section here, uh, make some comments, um, loop them together, um, look at a couple other places through scripture, uh, and then just kind of peruse, uh, peruse this text together. And so uh, just right here at the beginning, this idea of, so, what did they, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at, the time, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I love this. And if you've, if you've grown up in the church or if you spent a lot of time in Scripture, if you've just been around it in any capacity, uh, you know Jesus gets asked a lot of questions by his disciples and by a lot of people. And even starting off this, so realizing that Acts, the second part of Luke, this is coming after they've experienced everything. They've experienced their time with Jesus. They've experienced his death. They've experienced his resurrection. They've seen him come back to him again. And yet it's still, hey, Jesus, is this the time now? <laughs> um, and why it's so important sometimes to go back to Luke, as we will in a little bit, or even just the Gospels himself, and you see this again, that they're still asking questions about things that Jesus has talked about. <laughs> um, sometimes for the first time, sometimes multiple times. And so this section starting off, I'm just thinking of just like, bless Jesus' patience and thank God for it, right? 
Um, that there's this invitation here that even now that these disciples who have been him, with him for a while, who have seen all these things, are still like, hey, so now? Now is the time? What about this? What about that? Uh, how much more of an invitation and a gift it is for us to know that we can continue to show up with questions and wonderings within that? But one of the things that I want to focus on in here is the actual specific focus of the question. Is that, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And still, after everything they've experienced, after everything Jesus has told them that they talked about, it's still so easy for them to sit in what they think it's going to be. To sit in what they hope it's going to be. And in this case, oftentimes when this is being talked about, they're referring to political or military reign. That this will now be everything right now in this. It won't only be fixed to right, but it will be fixed to the way that we think it's right. Uh, and so there's a, there, there is a, there's a lot packed into this question. And so I just wanted to have that kind of on the forefront as we dive into it, um, realizing that even still they're doing this, and what a temptation it is for us as well, right? To be like, okay, but this is how it's going to be, right? And then when we peel back that onion a little bit, we're like, oh, this is really how we want it to be. This is what our hope is for. This is how we view this or that. And so we're going to see here in Jesus' conversation with them and then what's ahead throughout the Acts, that's going to continuously be disrupted. That's going to continuously be challenged for recognizing that even at this starting foundation, even after everything they've experienced, that is still the vantage point that the question is coming from. And so to have that with us as we we walk through these verses, to recognize that, okay, (laughs) what is our... um, what is our temptation here? What is our leaning? What is our hope for Jesus to do versus what Jesus is actually seeking out to do? Uh, our passage continues. Um, he said to them, this is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And this is going to be our first time that we're going to jump back to Luke a little bit. And so here Jesus is answering this question. Notice he's not ignoring it. He's not shaming for him. He's not neglecting him. He's just simply saying this is not the time for you to know the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. And so I want to bring us back to Luke, Luke chapter 17, uh, 20 to 24, and then just make some comments and conversation about this role of not knowing things versus knowing things and what's playing in here. And again, here he also speaks to this idea of um, what his kingdom is. And so Luke 17, 20 through 24. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights up in the sky from one side to the other, so so will the Son of Man be in this day. And so, again, there's this thing that we can look back to, like, hey, this is not, not something that you were to know. This is not something you're going to know. There's actually even almost kind of a casual nature to it of, like, it just isn't something you know. Like, there's, there's not a lot of fear around it. There's not a lot of um, uh, pushing or prodding around it. It's just simply something that they're not to know. But he does warn us um, here, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. So, obviously, things that we know here— is that Jesus is obviously not against us knowing things. His followers call him teacher, obviously. <laughs> if you are a teacher, you're communicating things to people that you want them to know. Um, so he, is, he teaches. Uh, we know things. We know that the scriptures are full of stories, including teachings from Jesus, that allow us to know things about God's largest story about Jesus and his church. Yet there's something here that we're not to know. And so I want to spend a little time thinking through that, about this not knowing things, our desire to know things, 
and then the access that we have to know things. So I'm assuming that a lot of y'all enjoy not knowing things, right? Like it's just like, okay, I kind of want to know what's going to happen next. And now there's really like simple things that aren't really that big of a deal that we still want to know, right? But then there's larger things, especially when it has to do with the trajectory of our life, the trajectory of our family, the trajectory of our community. Like we would really like to know how this ends. We'd really like to know this wants to work out, right? And um, it doesn't really convey comfort or excitement when we don't know. And probably most relevant, whether we want to admit it or not, the ability to not know disrupts our perception of our ability to control things. Um, so if you peel that back far enough, especially in these larger trajectories of life, especially these things that are of substantial importance within it, uh, there's things that not knowing then makes us realize and have to wrestle with the fact that, wait a minute, we can't actually control this either. <laughs> not only do we not know, but we can't control this, and it would be really nice if we could control this. Uh, and so there's a lot of challenges that come up with our lack of ability to know. And this is especially true for us um, in our Western modern setting when we have access to so much information. And not only do we have access to information, but we oftentimes have access to information being spun the way we want it to be spun. And so it's not only like, here's all the information, but also here's all the information catered to how you already want the information to play out. Really adds a lot of layers to the fact that um, hey, we don't know. Actually, all of you most likely probably have access really quick to more information than anyone could ever imagine that we could ever had possible. Take that, Mr. Proctor, who said I would never have a calculator and would fail at life because of my math skills. I have one. Uh, though if you ever still watch me measure square footage at work, it's a nightmare even with that. Uh, <laughs> so maybe it's not all that due. But we have access to it. We have accessibility to it. So for me, that makes it all the funnier that in this time of Jesus talking uh, to his disciples and to the Pharisees, when we might have this perception that literally you only know what you can know because there's no access to anything beyond you, even still, he warned them about the dangers of filling the gaps of stuff we can't know with our desire to know. The fact of like, hey, there are going to be people who say, hey, it's here, it's here. And what does he warn them to do? He says, Don't not, do not go or follow them. Says, don't go, don't follow. Like, it's, I understand, you can't know this. It, like, this is, this is a thing that you, you're just not going to know. But that temptation probably is going to be too great that there's going to be people like, hey, here, here, there. Um, and especially, again, if we bring that back to our overarching access to everything we could possibly want, we realize how much easier that is for us to fall into, to fall into like, actually, no, here's the answer, here's the answer, here's the answer, and we're going to seek that out. Uh, Ed Stetzer, who's a pastor and professor, in his book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, uh, he talks about a study that MIT did that actually showed that with the increase of access to information, such as the internet, and being able to get anything that we want off the internet, we've actually created a world of more extremists than we have moderates. Because that you can find everything you want, you're naturally going to go find what you want to find. <laughs> and so there's a sense that like all this access has actually put this problem here on steroids, tenfold to what we're actually dealing with. And so there's things here like you're just not going to know this. There's going to be temptations that want to go try to figure out and figure this out. But what we see time and again, and I'm sure many of y'all have stories and experiences with this, not only does scripture tell us, but from your own walk in faith, when we are challenged by, frustrated by, fearful, or feel a lack of belief about what we do not know, the answer is to not go find answers that will satisfy us apart from Jesus but to continuously be brought back to, again and again, what we do know and can know about God. 
as we talked about before we dived into that little bit of Luke about things that we do not know, it's very clear that Jesus wants us to know a lot of things. (laughs) There's a lot of words in Scripture (laughs) that are a lot about God and God's people, right? Uh, Jesus, again, is a teacher. There's not this idea of, hey, there aren't things to know about God. He's just simply saying that this is something you don't know. And no matter how much we want to explain it away, that's just what it is. We don't know this. And so what should we do, or what would I encourage us to do, um, what I at least encourage myself to do, because I am as prone to this as anyone, is what can we know? Not what do we want to know, but what can we know? So when we are feeling fearful, when we are feeling a lack of belief, when we are feeling frustrated and challenged by, instead of going and running and seeking what is going to at least perceive to make us satisfied, perceive to make us happy, or at least do, you know, do all the maps, do all the like, okay, we got this all figured out. This is what it's going to be. It's like, but that's not even what Jesus said we could know. So let's focus on the things that we can know. And so as we dive into scripture, there's so many things that do that. And I just am going to do a quick survey of a few. This is literally like five or six out of hundreds of thousands that you can just dive in and be like, what does scripture say about God? You know, the psalmist says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. John, in his, in his writings in 1 John, tells us that God is love. Later on in that same book, he not only tells us that God is love, but perfect love casts out fear. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that God shows us his love for us, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. That God was for us before we even could do anything, before we could even achieve anything. And even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, communicating a God that is with us and for us. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul says, Then what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And later on in that same selection of verses in chapter 8, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, and all these things being of God, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dorothy Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's like one thing we can't know. And there's so many things that that not knowing is rooted in that we can know. And so, you know, it's one thing if someone you have no understanding of, you have no trust for, that you know nothing about their character says, hey, there's going to be this massive, world-transforming, changing thing, but you can't know it. It's probably a little harder to walk away from and be at peace with. (laughs) But if you have this person who's saying like, hey, this is just not to know, but wow, look at what that not knowing is rooted in. That not knowing and rooted in who Jesus is and who God is. A God who is merciful and gracious, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God that is love and that love that casts out fear. And a God that shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. A God that allows us to be conquerors rooted in him for his love and that nothing, nothing can separate us from that love. And that that person who is saying this is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a lot of hope to be rooted in in the midst of that not knowing. There's a lot of promise. There is a lot of development. There is a lot of, this really actually isn't that fearful of a thing. And actually, maybe it's okay to not know this because we know who Jesus is. Right? So again, even though I just said this, again, because we're in, um, as I've talked about a handful of times, 
that we that I've preached, and uh, Kevin has brought it up in his own way a few times. I have a, I have a former colleague who will literally say his entire ministry as a pastor is the ministry of reminding. That's literally all he's called to do is remind you that Jesus loves you and his life, death, and resurrection will transform your life and our lives together. He's like probably, a, he's in his 70s now and he's been preaching since his like late teens, early 20s. And he's like, that's literally the message I have. <laughs> I've probably done several sermon series, done that, but that is literally it. That's it. He just, uh, a couple years ago, became the head of uh, 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 one of the Lutheran denominations, the chairperson of it. And they were like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to tell people that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like, but what are we going to do? And he's like, I'm going to tell people that Jesus died for them and loved them, and that Jesus rose from the grave. He's like, but what about, he's like, no, literally. You're not getting the point. I have one ministry, it's the ministry of reminding. So again, as a reminder, when we are challenged by, frustrated by, fearful, or feel a lack of belief about what we do not know, the answer is not to go find answers that will satisfy us apart from Jesus, but to come back to, again and again, what we do know and can know about God. And just not yourself, because it's so important here that Jesus isn't just talking to one disciple here. He's talking to those who are gathered. He's talking to a collective. And what did we learn last week about, hey, you're going to go wait for a while. And we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of here, because they get sent out again. But he's not just talking to one person, he's talking to a community of people. So there's not just one person hearing this story, there's a group that hear this story, and they're going to go be together. And what do people do when they get together? They talk together, they hang out together, they spend time together, you hear things from one another. I, just the other week, um, it came up, you know, uh, a community group, we were processing the sermon, things like that, and there was a comment made saying like, it's so good to hear this from y'all because I wouldn't know it otherwise. I wouldn't know the ways that you have been pursued. I, didn't know, I wouldn't know the way God has shown up in your life if you didn't tell, if you didn't share in a community. And so God's not just sending one person out like, hey, go wait by yourself and this whole like, you know, like whatever with no context, no community. They are a collective together that have seen, that have experienced, that are going to continue to see and experience and share with one another. And so this isn't just like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really sad and depressed and blah, blah, and I'm not, I'm not putting that on. I'm literally talking about myself right there, right? Like, so not putting depression on y'all, talking about like, hey, you know, so when, I, when, I, when I'm struggling with that or when you're struggling with whatever your struggle or battle is, it's not like, okay, now I just have to go by myself and find comfort from God. Like, God will be there and is there and is with you and doesn't leave you, but God also gives you a community to be with. And present with. And sometimes it's really hard and challenging to break through that walls and tell that community you need that um, or to share that or be vulnerable with them, but they're there. And it's such a gift here that Jesus is telling people that they're not to know this, but they're not just telling them alone, isolated by themselves. It's like, hey, you don't know this, but here you are in your community of people who continuously testify and experience this as well. So you don't got it this week, we got it for you. Hey, you don't got it this week, we got it for you, because you're going to be in this, you're going to share this to that. And so it's not just something that we take on ourselves, but we do this in community and context together. Our text continues on, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, this is really a, a thematic statement for the entire book of Acts. Like, if you, um, if you ever get, um, if you ever have an experience, I wasn't going to say if you ever have to, because I'm someone who views assignments as something you get to do sometimes uh, uh, with, with school. But if you ever have to, like, outline the book of Acts or anything ever, it literally is right here. Like, you can actually, like, assign the verses to each of these different sections um, within that. And so uh, a really key thematic verse for everything that we're going to be going through. 
that focuses on the fact of the Holy Spirit uh, and witnesses uh, in to the different locations and ends of the earth. And so I want to talk a little bit about dynamics. Look at Luke one more time and then get to the back half, um, back half of this text. And so a couple of things that are talked about in here, um, the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of witnesses, uh, and then the locations in which they're going. And so what we learn about the Holy Spirit here, and we're going to get into it more in the weeks to come, so this is not a deep dive into it. I'm just going to speak to what it says in the verse because it will be prominent throughout this book. Um, and the coming of the Holy Spirit will be a prominent section um, of the text. But it tells you that this is a power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so we learn that a power that comes upon, which will equip, sustain, and propel the disciples out um, into what Jesus is sending them out to do to spread the good news. And so we hear about the Holy Spirit here. Again, this reminder of this promise. Um, and then that this idea of witnesses. Uh, even in preparing for this, um, reading some things and talking to some friends, Uh, A former colleague reminded me of a pastor, Marvin McMickle, who sums up witnesses as someone who sees something, says something, and suffers something. Um, And as we continue on through this book, we're going to see that all of those three things (laughs) um, are what actually entails and it's packed into the disciples' stories of being witnesses. But again, I want to pull you back here to Luke as we think about this call, what is being communicated here to the disciples. Uh, So Luke 24, 44 through 49 says... Then he said to them, this is after he's appeared back to them after the resurrection, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in the name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from high. And so here we see this breakdown of what is that they are to be witnesses to, right? They are being witnesses to what they have experienced, that Jesus suffered, was crucified, rose, and to be sent out on the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins, uh, that of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, uh, beginning in Jerusalem and then going on, and again, before it's said in Acts, that promise of the Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit, uh, is going to be sent out to you. And so this is that whole scope of what they are to be witnesses to. Now, we read the scripture. One of the things that I want to pull out from here is this idea of the you here that Jesus is addressing. is talking about Jesus. Says, hey, you are going to do this. Uh, the Bible is a weird uh, book in a lot of ways, <laughs> but one of the ways that it's probably its most weirdest is that it's a timeless word um, that continues to speak, and it's also a very specific word written to a very specific group of people. Each letter in each book has a context, has a location, has a purpose. And so as we read this, and especially if you've heard it preached and talked about in a variety of ways, it's really easy to start right away with the, like, you. Like, this is you right here, right now. But I do have to tell you that unless you have a, De- a DeLorean or we're in the Superbook Adventures, it's, it's not you, at least initially, right? Um, it is the disciples who are being talked to. And so why do I pull this out? Because it's sometimes like, oh man, we, we are witnesses. We, we give our testimony. We, you know, we do these things. But this initially right here is not talking about you. And why is that important to hear? There's many reasons that it's important to hear. Not only that, hey, we maybe not always need to read ourselves into the text. We need to see what Jesus was, you know, doing and talking about. But the other reason is, is because I want us to hear that if you're here you have been reached by this witness. You have been impacted by this witness. You have been 
prompted and prodded by this witness, that you stand on that witness being communicated, that this ends of the earth, that, 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 that's us <laughs> in many ways, that when they're sitting there hearing this, like, okay, starting here, then going to our little outskirts, but then the ends of the earth, right? We have been reached in that way. We have been impacted. We have had that witness give testimony to us and has brought us to where we are. And so I think that's really important for us to hear as a people. Not then that that same, when that captures us, when we commit to that, and then we are also propelled out (laughs) to reach people to share the good news, but we were raged. We were pursued. We are being pursued. And before we go out and say, hey, look at all these things I'm going to go do now, we need to remember that we stand on this work, this promise, this propelling this vision, being sent out and being fulfilled. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was in undergrad, I had a professor who would, he, he was a church historian, and he would start every semester out reading Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Every semester that he ever taught, he would begin class, the first day of class, saying that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we we hear about Jesus, as we walk in our own faith, alone and in community, it's so essential for us to realize that there are people who are continuously and have continuously testified to this. There are people who have continually been sent out on this that have reached us, but also in the sense that we aren't in this alone. This, this vision, this mission, this call is not unique to Center Church in Fridley, Minnesota. <laughs> like, this is something that we stand on the shoulders of, of this continuation of this work, of this idea of being witnesses, um, that it is not just about us but we are segmented in and part of this much larger collective that were these ends of the earth that have heard this story and that we continue on to do that. And so when we think through that, when we think of it, I think those are some important things for us to bring about. Last portion of this text, 9 through 11. And we had seen these things as they were looking on. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as he saw you go into heaven. Just a couple of comments uh, about this last little portion. There's a lot that happens in here. Uh, we don't know a lot about uh, Jesus being lifted up in the sense the fancy church word for it is ascension. Um, so depending in the context, if any of y'all grew up in church, y'all might have had an Ascension Sunday that really focuses and sits on this, of Jesus being lifted back up to heaven. As far as the sight it goes, we know that there was a cloud that came, not like a normal rain cloud. Throughout Scripture, clouds are often seen as larger manifestations of God's glory. And I'm sure it was quite the spectacle. But as far as all the details and the mechanics of it, we don't know if Jesus tapped his chest and said, energize. We don't know if he just got floated up um, in a variety of different ways, right? Um, but we do know is that he was lifted up back to heaven physically as he was. And I, I'm just kind of struck by the fact that this is a huge deal, but there's also kind of a casual vibe to this. Like, Jesus is talking with them, he's lifted up, and then the men of Galilee, and these, uh, the angels talk to the men of Galilee and be like, why are you just standing here looking? Like, 
go. <laughs> like Jesus is taken up and he'll come back. Again, just like that, just in this nature of it. And so it, it's fascinating to me that there's this invitation, there's this like challenge almost to not, to be in awe of it, but to also not get caught up in the spectacle, to not forget like, okay, this is a really cool thing to focus on right now and be like, well, yeah, but that then is propelling you over here to do things. And this, this idea ends with them being like, hey, you know, why are you just standing here? You, you, you were told to just go, you know, wait there until the promise of the Father comes, until the Holy Spirit. So go do that. And so there's a sense here that, like, in the midst of waiting, we're still going forth. We might not be going necessarily where we want to go or where we think we're going, but there's a sense here that, like, hey, don't just stand here and wherever this took place and look, like, go get ready for this. <laughs> you're still waiting, but yet you're still going to get ready of this. And not only that, as we talked about earlier, you're doing that in community. You as a collective go together and wait on this, where I am sure there was countless stories told about everything they experienced. What do you think this is going to be? There was probably some great conversation. There's probably great wondering. And believe it or not, there was actually probably doubt or unknown or uncertainty in the midst of that, which is all okay within that collective. And the last thing I want to say about this is in the first part, when Jesus says, this is not for you to know, and then here, when the people are like, hey, it's just going to happen just like this, <laughs> like, at some time, it's not for you to know, that, at least as I read it, especially as I read it compared to how I remember being taught it, there's nothing fear-centric about it. It's all very Jesus-centric, in the sense. There's nothing fearful, like, okay, now go coward in this thing, always wondering when this is going to happen. It's like, literally, it's going to be as casual as it just happened, and it just is going to happen. Now, what is it that you're going to do in the midst of the happening? What is it, how are you going to respond to that's what's important? Um, depending on your context, like, I, <laughs> I remember uh, there, there, was, uh, there was a band that, that blew up the, the early era of the Christian music industry with a cover song. Um, DC Talk did a cover song of I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Um, now, I realize I'm speaking to some people who've been around church a lot here within that, but I remember being so terrified, like just so freaked out of that. Uh, I had a friend uh, down the street. Um, we had, they, had done a, they had done a church, uh, a camp lock-in, and they had shown all the Thief of the Night movies at this like, camp lock-like, which for those who might wear is a very much focus on what is it going to be like in the rapture and other things within that. And we lived in a small town where people just left and their doors were open all the time and whatnot. And they had gone home and there was no note or nothing and there was no one around. And this poor kid like had just a meltdown in the sense that they thought they had been left behind. And it was so fear-centric formed in that within it. Uh, and I just only want to share that because recognizing that, that you, you all have different experience, whether you know, you're new to church, you're not new to church, or whatever you went into, is I was struck as I was preparing and reading through this, is there's just not really any fear present. There is this, this is just, this is what it is, this is going to happen, this did happen, it's not for you to worry about. And again, want to point us back to this idea of what is it for us to know and what can we know about Jesus. And so when we propel into fear, I think that also motivates us to find answers elsewhere other than Jesus sometimes too. We're like, okay, this person has promised this. This is going to give me peace of mind. This is going to give me that. At least here, it doesn't really seem like they're giving us much to worry about. It's just like, yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> like, it's going to be a thing. But right now, here's the thing, what Jesus has sent you out to do, and most importantly, who Jesus has continually shown himself to do. And so let's live in that. Uh, we wrap up our uh, messages with gospel application. We really want to focus on what Jesus has done, not then what you want to go out and do or need to do. 
And this notion in these last verses of Jesus being lifted high is not just, you know, um, Jesus lifting high actually happened, and it's just also just such a great image of Jesus being lifted high. And remembering and that all that's to come from this as we continue on through the book of Acts, we're going to continually be seeing Jesus lifted high. And actually throughout Jesus' larger story, we don't always understand what it is. Uh, doesn't always seem like a positive thing. We see Jesus lifted high on the cross, horrifying, terrifying, but yet we see what comes out of that. We see Jesus lifted high here with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see in the book of Acts as we continue on. And so I think through all of this, um, as we read this, as we leave here, is just remembering to let Jesus be lifted high in everything, in all things. And that is such much more of a thriving and hopeful root than it is about, oh my gosh, what's all the things we have to do and get ready before Jesus comes back? What is it that we're living out of and what is it that we are hoping for? And just to be able to keep that be one of the things that you're reminded of, that in all of this and through all of this, Jesus is lifted high.